0: Welcome to Dropping Wisdom with Santos. And today, my guest is David. He was on my podcast before a few episodes ago. Uh, Please introduce yourself again, please. David Newman, and I'm a retired uh, homicide detective for the Norfolk Police Department in Virginia. Okay, now what we're going to start doing, he's going to be a reoccurring guest on the the podcast. And and every time he's on, um, the, the show is going to be the unspoken words. And today we're going to talk about unsolved murder and a cold case review. Okay, so start it up, Dave. Okay, this, the case we're going to go over and talk about
1: um, to, to start out with is a murder, murder that happened back in 2009 in June. And it happened in Mooresville, North Carolina, in a neighborhood called Gabriel Estates. And the victim uh, was Matt Stewart. He was a father of three. Um, killed in his home. He was in his mid-30s uh, when he was murdered. And the murder happened while he and his wife uh, were in bed with their two-year-old son. And then they had a four-year-old daughter in her other her bedroom. And their older daughter, um, who was actually Matt Stewart's wife's daughter from a previous marriage, her name is Angel, uh, she was away that night at a sleepover. But uh, an intruder after midnight, when everybody was in bed, uh, shot and uh, killed Matt Stewart, shot him multiple times, stabbed him multiple times, and no one else was was killed. Now, Angel's wife had a superficial graze wound to her wrist, um, but the incident occurred while they were all asleep, and Angel uh, woke up after midnight. She was the last one to go to bed that night uh, after Matt and Noah uh, and Naomi had gone to sleep. And she woke up after midnight, and there was a tall, uh, white male dressed in a dark, like, winter wetsuit at the foot of the bed, and he had a handgun. And when she realized that it was real, she put her hand up to shield her son and screamed no, and Matt sat up, and the suspect opened fire on Matt. The first round grazed Angel's wrist, but Matt lunged forward to engage this individual, and uh, Angel ran with Noah, or the youngest boy, um, out of the room, out of the house to a neighbor's to call 911, and then that set the response in motion, and after about an hour and 15 minutes, entry was made, the uh, suspect had disappeared, and there was no sign of the suspect really anywhere. They they searched a neighborhood, they did a canvas, they did a great job in the investigation, but the suspect seemed to just vanish in the thin air, But when entry was made, their uh, youngest daughter was in bed, still sleeping. So she was unharmed and they found uh, Matt in the bathroom of their bedroom. And he was obviously deceased. He had been shot and and stabbed multiple times. And after a thorough investigation that went
0: on for over two years, uh, the case has never been resolved. Okay, so I just find it weird how you said Angel was her name. And she left the house with her with the the, the little kid. The little boy. Mm-hmm. Little boy, but left her daughter upstairs in the bedroom. Correct. That's that's kind of fishy to me. It, it does it does raise a question to a lot of people who you
1: know, read about the case and looked at it. You know, how could someone leave in a in a situation uh, leave your child behind? You know, and a lot of people would kill getting their kids out of a situation like that. But the the, the um, explanation was she had been shot, her left wrist had been hit, and she had her younger son in her right hand. So her whole thing was getting him out of the house, she said, and just getting help. So, you know, that was her explanation for not getting uh, her younger daughter out of the house. And But luckily, you know, no one except uh, Angel had that grazing wound, uh, but no one else was harmed, luckily, who was there that night. Other than Matt. Other than Matt. Yeah, Matt. And when first uh, responders went in the house, and that was kind of initially a tactical scenario. It wasn't really a crime scene at first because you have to wait for that dust to settle and make a scene safe, render aid to the victim. And then you focus on trying to manage what went on and evaluate it. And they did everything. Mooresville coordinated with the county and the state, uh, and they did a great job. There's nothing that I can think of after doing a review of that case that I would have done really any differently but the challenge is, even today, there's never been really established a motive. Why? And, you know, motive is not required by law to convict somebody, but it is a key factor to solve a murder. And the other question is, how did it happen? Uh, was it a lone wolf kind of, you know, random scenario, which doesn't seem realistic, or was it involving more than one person? So those are two questions today that that have not really been resolved.
0: Okay. How did he get into the house? Uh, The belief
1: is through a rear uh, door, the front door was secured. When Angel left the house to go to the neighbors, she had to unlock the deadbolt of the front door. So she says. She says. And her blood was transferred on the inside of the deadbolt lock. So the belief is that, okay, you know, she probably did unlock it. Now, we know that the the exit, the suspect left through the rear door, the sliding glass door. Uh, Matt's blood was on the door. And there was no evidence of forced entry anywhere in the house. So, you know, the, the question is really today, okay, did he come in the rear sliding glass door? Um, and right now, everything is really in theory, like in most unsolved cases. And this one is its inactive right now. It doesn't mean they don't look at it periodically, because they do. And they use the media. They go back and look at Matt's victimology. And Matt was a low-risk individual. There's four criteria by which you define someone. And their risk factor, which might open up other possible scenarios. But Matt is really, you know, identified as someone more low risk in nature. He was a good, uh, you know, religious church on Sunday
0: family man. Okay. How was Angel acting afterwards in the house when all the cops came? She was acting surprisingly calm uh, to
1: the officers who were there. And of course, in any homicide investigation, you don't rule anything out. So, uh, Angel, um, they say acted suspicious. Uh, her mom, uh, acted, uh, they thought a little bit maybe too calm as well. But they have always, uh, the, the, the thing that's bizarre about this is okay that, that right now the only real scenario is where they involved, you know, it's not random by definition, but they have cooperated, uh, they polygraphed and they've always, you know, done what they were asked of. So they let their, uh, daughter be interviewed by a, uh, forensics and, and, and you know investigators and every time you think you might have impossible okay this is like a possibility then uh, something else kind of steers you away in the other direction. Did she ever remarry? She has. Who do do they know who? Um the one I now I keep up with her periodically. Um she has remarried someone uh that I was looking into that I was um a friend of Matt I think years ago and the, the individual now who Angel's married to, his wife, uh, died uh, a few years ago, and her death was ruled an accident. Uh, but they did when Matt, Matt, and Angel uh, were both nurses. They worked at two different hospitals in the ER. And in the investigation, they looked at you know the church, uh, any association they had, you know, at the hospital, uh, and even uh, maybe Angel's ex, former husband. And I, I know they continually, you know, update, look at other people, and that nothing has really
0: struck a red flag. Hmm. Is, okay. When does a case, given the title, cold case? Um, w- well, every agency
1: has different criteria, you know, by which they define unsolved murder. And we tried to use um, kind of the federal standards, uh, like the FBI would put forward, Uh, An unsolved homicide after a one-year period is either cold or inactive. And the difference is with an an inactive murder, there's still something there which is probative in nature. There's some evidence there. It could be direct or circumstantial. But you simply have hit a brick wall at that time. Uh, The evidence has not been exhausted. And an, an example there, if you had a homicide involving, say, a rape or sexual assault, and which there's one that we have a look at maybe next month in, in Hot Springs. And there's uh, DNA left behind on the victim. They know probably is a suspect. They have a DNA profile. It has never been identified. And they've looked at CODIS uh, and phenotyping. Uh, so they have they have evidence there. But right now it's simply stalled. That's what's inactive. In a cold case, you don't have anything. There's no evidence, witnesses, or suspects So there's nothing probative there unless someone steps forward with information. So that's a different. That's a kind of the terms that we would use with
0: Norfolk. How many times was he shot? He was shot ten times. How many times was he stabbed? Multiple. Now, when I watch certain murder documentaries, they say with those type of murders, that's personal. It it does. There's a thing
1: that you look at called an indicator of association or motive. Overkill injuries suggest anger and passion, uh, so you think there's an association that's there, um, and that's what's also confusing about this is they know that Angela herself didn't do this. It was a physical impossibility because there's no evidence on her that would have suggested that she could not have done to done him physically what was done. So she did not do this herself. But you know when they look at Matt's victimology and you look at those who he associates with, um, there's just nothing there that would indicate someone that angry or passionate against this guy. And that's what makes this so confusing. The last time I spoke with the um, investigators was a few years ago from the Mooresville PD. And you can see the frustration when you talk to them because they just throw their hands up. We have nothing. You know, we have we have cartridge casings, obviously, that they they put into the system. They've been... But they don't have any, and not every murder scene will yield a print or DNA. Uh, And right now, it's just frustrating because of the lack of evidence really here, or the lack of a motive, the lack of method of operation does still leave a
0: lot of unanswered questions. Well, you're talking about passion. Did Angel have any... did she cheat on Matt in her hospital that she worked in? Not that they know. They they, they look at that angle. They looked at because they worked at different
1: um, hospitals uh, and they did look at that. And they can't find through interviewing a ton of people anything that points to that as a red flag. You know, there's all in a case like this one, you know, just because you you can't uncover it doesn't mean it's there, not there. But uh, right now, they have exhausted just doing interviews with a lot of people, neighbors, people at search in the hospitals, and they can't find
0: anything that might suggest why. Okay. Do they plan on doing what you mentioned in in, the epi- in our previous episode, geofencing? I think, yeah. When I last spoke with uh, uh, an investigator connected to
1: that, uh, they were going to go back and try to look at not only that, but the dark web also, Uh, can be used to solicit, say, maybe someone to kill someone, and that would go undetected on your computer. So the the dark web is used for a lot of criminal activity, like, you know, uh, child um, sex slaves and that kind of stuff. But they are looking to go back and hopefully use technology and try to collect, you know, as much data as they can of who was in that general area that night and then go back and try to identify who that was. But they, they have done the work on the cell phones, like the, those who involve mats and angels and there's nothing on the phones that have really raised a, a flag huh that's bananas yeah but geofencing you can go back years and years um, because Google keeps what they call a sense of vault data from years and years ago and obviously Google uses that data for uh, various things like promoting sales or political reasons or, you know whatever they want to target you for but um yeah, they're going to go back hopefully and use some hopefully technology and collect more data from who may have been in that area.
0: Huh. So they didn't, they knew it was since the daughter that was left in the bedroom, she was, um, that was a different, different father. And he no, was kind No, up. No, An no,
1: older daughter. Now, the older daughter. Yeah, the older daughter. Now, yeah, that was yeah, Angel um, from a previous relationship. Yeah. So when Angel and Matt met, it was at church and they connected and got married and then had a daughter and a son. And they're okay. both the
0: younger kids. And it was proven that the other father had nothing to do with it as well. They've not yet. They've looked at everybody and they can't connect him to anything. It was pretty genius to have him do that, that surf uh, bodysuit though.
1: If Yeah, and that's what she, you know, she describes a man um, standing there and almost like she just said like an Aquaman, a wetsuit. And it was a steamy, hot June night. and uh, But a wetsuit, if you, if you look at it from, you know, transferred exchange evidence, the, the suspect would not have left anything behind wearing a wetsuit as far as DNA or prints. If he had on gloves and booties um, and, 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 and anything of that nature. But, but also kind of not complicated things, but they thought was a possibility. A month later in South Carolina, they had a spree killer. Um, in, in this town called Gaffney. It's not that far from Mooresville, And the suspect was a tall white male, the big bill, like Angel described. And he had killed five people over the Fourth of July week. Uh, but he was ultimately ruled out in Matt Stewart's murder.
0: Did they um, do research of the local areas that sell... Um those surf suits, yeah. Those suits to see if there was any well, previous purchases. They looked, and yeah, because the
1: thing about that, they they did look at that, and in that area, think about Virginia and the Carolinas through Florida. Even online, you can. There's tons of surf shops that sell surf suits everywhere. So it'd be difficult to individualize. You know, you you could try to go online or find out information. Okay, who's purchased a red suit? If it was even a recent purchase, so that'd be a challenging lead to trying to follow up. on. Yeah. It's not something you would actually be able to individualize,
0: we would call that. Hmm. All right. So what's our next thing going to talk about? Cold Uh, case review? About this one? Well, yeah, because there's uh, there's nothing else we could
1: talk about, this guy. Well, right now, um, there's, there's, I think, ID uh, Channel was going to do a story. ID Go,
0: the ID Go app. Yeah, Yeah, ID
1: They were going to look at doing that, Matt Stewart. And the thing about Matt, and and I've looked at a lot of unsolved cases uh, when I was with Norfolk and even after, because that's what I do now is consulting and, and training. So, so I look at a, a lot of unsolved cases for agencies just to try to go back over them. And is there through either victimology or evidence not yet processed, some path we can go down to give a case a, a new direction. Um, right now with Matt Stewart, and the reason why obviously you want to solve an unsolved case is to give the, the family closure but also once those questions how or why are actually answered, then we can use them as future reference, you know, as a guide. Okay. We had a case like this years ago and here was a scenario, the association of motive. And there was a a detective, um, last month I did a, um, a webinar and he had talked about the Matt Stewart case. He, he read it online and he had a homicide, very similar situation. They had a man, shot and killed in his house his wife and kids were there and no one else was harmed but him and the suspect ended up being a member of their church Do they ultimately charge? they found evidence uh in a secondary location and you know what his
0: mod- what, the, what the motive was
1: it was pat it was jealousy Ah, yeah jealousy and passion won him out of the way because apparently the, the suspect either had uh feelings for or had an affair with the victim's wife so mm-hmm. that's why So, you know, they looked at that, you know, you always look at in behavioral science, when that whole project started with the FBI, that was the whole purpose, was to create kind of a database or a, a data collection for law enforcement to use. So if you have, say, similar victimology, a similar setting, and a victim kind of treated the same way, so what did that mean before? You know, history does repeat itself at murder scenes. So you want to have data collected to use as a guide to give you some direction if you you see a lot of similarities. And an example I would kind of give is three cases I reviewed um, both with Norfolk and outside of Norfolk. We had three victims uh, in different jurisdictions, different times, and they were all females. Um, They were brutally murdered in their homes and you could tell they were targeted and the method of operation identified. Show the victim most likely would not have let the intruder in. They had either tricked their way in or, you know, uh, forced entry from the outside. And every single suspect ended up being an acquaintance of the victim. So you start to see a guide with certain MOs and, and certain victimology in certain settings that we can use to give ourselves some direction.
0: Huh. Okay. Now for all the, all the new listeners, tell them what your webinar is.
1: Okay. Yep. Yeah, uh, Right now, my, my business is consulting and teaching. So, inside the tape.com uh, is my website, and we post training courses on the website. And I do training for law enforcement across the country at the federal, state, and local level. Because of COVID, we've been doing a lot of webinars, obviously, because of in person training. So, we're right now trying to get back out in the road, hopefully later on this month. Uh, but yeah, inside the tape.com. Uh, Has all the training uh, scheduled on there? Uh, We have dropping wisdom on there as well. The the podcast dropping wisdom
0: with Santos Uh, is on the on on the calendar page. That's great.
1: We have we have (laughs) that information on there as well. And uh, we're going to start actually what we're doing right now with the podcast, which every month we'll do an unsolved case. But on the um, on the uh, website, we're going to start start next month. Uh, posting a page of unsolved cases. So on um. there, if someone has information, maybe you want know, to have input or call up or ask any information, they can do so through the website. And we'll keep the web the, the cases up there until they're solved and then show the outcome if they do.
0: Well, who is this we? You're saying we're doing this. Is just well, you.
1: Well, me. It's, it's me, but I have a lot of input and help from you know people who I've worked with. And that now what I do is me, myself, and I, But I work with a lot of agencies who do put input into my classes as far as the topics they want to see. And a lot of cases um, that I do present have been provided by departments around the country for reviews or critiques. It could be a suicide, an unsolved case. Uh, It could be an equivocal death where we don't know really what the manner of death was. But um, a lot of what I do now is a result of work from a lot of people.
0: That's they that don't always get credit
1: for. It. Yeah, that's great.
0: Anything else you want to talk
1: about um, with this case? Not unless you have any more questions. That pretty much, you know, we'll try to do... And we'll do it each month if something does change. And we'll do a new yeah, case. If you find anything month. new, yeah. uh, update us. What obviously. we'll do is, yeah, we'll do a kind of, okay, from last unsolved case, any new information, and then move on to a new one.
0: Okay. Now, now that we're at the end of the, um, of the episode, would you like to... Uh, Apologize for forgetting about the ghost story. Uh well, yeah, I didn't. Because you know. said you didn't have one, but as soon as I, I cut do. off, oh, I do have a ghost story. <laughs> yeah, my
1: mind, my mind went blank. Um, yeah, but I do, and I've never have been a believer. I've never ever seen what I would say is a ghost, you know, or ever saw anything weird I couldn't explain. And uh, my mother-in-law uh, sadly passed away uh, about. Uh, three right before code 2019 um and she had uh dementia and she lived a long full life great great lady and uh she was um living with my wife's sister and us uh, to keep her with the family and uh, so when she passed away i was in my garage and my wife was in the living room with our grandson and they had fallen asleep on the couch and my granddaughters were in the addition sleeping. And I went in the, inside the kitchen, uh, you know, to, to just take a look at them. And I went back and told my wife, just go ahead and stay in bed, you know, take a nap. I'll, I'll just keep an eye on the kids. So I went out in the garage. Within seconds, I forgot something in the house, turned back around and looked inside. And I saw a lady at the door of the addition looking in at the kids. And at first glance, I thought, okay, it was my wife. And I said, hey, I told you to stay asleep, get your rest. And I turned around for one second and turned back to go talk to her. And she was asleep still. So whatever was standing there, it was a lady. I could tell it was, you know, it could have been my mother-in-law. In fact, from behind, it did look like her. But it was just a, a split second. But that was my own. And we've had more experiences. We've been to my, my house downstairs. And the garage doors open and closed. And there's just no one there. So, you know, we have since she passed away, I've had a couple of experiences that I've never had before, seeing what I know was her. And we had a, um, my wife had a, uh, a baby cam, you know, upstairs in our room. The twins, the little twin granddaughters, stayed downstairs in the addition. And they looked at the camera in our room one morning, and she saw her mom sitting down by the cribs just looking at the kids. And she said, holy cow. So she went downstairs, and of course, the, it was gone at that point. I forgot to didn't even bring that up last time that we. Yeah,
0: man. You said said, no. These are some crazy stories. Yeah,
1: I was shaking. I was like, wow. I said, I think I just saw my mother in law. And it was clear and vivid. It was was really odd.
0: Well, in this situation, these are all positives. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Because she's watching over the grandkids. Yep. You know, that's a positive vibe. That's awesome. She's like
1: basically your guardian angel. She loved those kids. And even though she was in advanced stages of dementia, she can remember things way back, and she sometimes forget who you were, but she never forgot those kids. She always knew, knew who they were and their names, and she loved to be around them. So I think they actually still there, watching over them.
0: That's great. Yep, that's awesome. Well, thanks a lot for coming again. This is going to be our our, our monthly yes, our monthly uh, show. Absolutely called Unspoken Words. Yep, that's is awesome. Well, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Always. All right, guys, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time.